All right. We got here Eric Hinman, serial entrepreneur, founder of a ton of companies. I've been very excited for this one. I've actually been trying to get Eric on the podcast for three years now from a distance. I actually met Eric virtually on the first ever virtual Live Better retreat, which was huge for me. It changed my life. And I watched Eric speak. And Eric was talking about how he earned his financial freedom, which we'll talk about here. Um, he was currently biking. I think you were in Arizona at the time. Um, yeah, it was in Moab, Utah. <laughs> so sick, man. And like you were just, you know, just spreading into us about how you've earned your freedom and really designed a life that you were really looking to build for yourself. So with that being said, thanks so much for coming on, man. We're excited for this. Thanks for having me, guys. Good stuff. So, so tell us a little bit more about yourself. I've, I've read your bios. I've listened to a ton of podcasts. But for those of you that don't know, tell us a little bit more about Eric Hinman. Yeah. I mean, I've written numerous chapters in my life. I guess the first chapter was very much athlete. I I went to a small high school in upstate New York and played basketball. I played Little League Baseball, Senior League Baseball, ran track, ran cross country, played one year of football, and just enjoyed being an athlete growing up and the team side of sports. And then I went to college and got more into vanity-based lifting, bench press, and bicep curls just to look good on spring break. And after college, I started my first career in property and casualty insurance. And my father gave me an incredible opportunity. He gave me a company car and a small salary and kind of set me off on my own after I passed the property and casualty insurance examination to find my way with being an insurance agent. And I did that for seven years and landed on insuring campgrounds and marinas in upstate New York. And it was a great foundation for everything else I would do entrepreneurial in life. I was able to build an asset and I was able to build residual income. And that's a lesson I always tell young people. If you're going to trade money for time, you know, try and build some kind of asset for yourself and build some kind of reoccurring revenue stream so that you have a foundation to then be able to start taking risks. In my late twenties, that's when I started taking risks and. I started a software company called Rounded at the time, and we were building mobile applications early in the app revolution. And during those years, I also got into triathlon, specifically Ironman triathlon, and started shifting a lot of my life around health and wellness protocols during those years. I just realized that exercise was fueling the best version of myself. And there was a snowball effect from exercise. I was eating healthier. I wasn't staying out late at night. I wasn't drinking anymore. My friend group changed. My behaviors changed. And I just started to really feel like I was thriving. I sold my shares in that software company in 2014 and started just kind of reinvesting in different things I wanted to create or brands I was interested in. Um, so I opened a, a CrossFit gym with some business partners in upstate New York and then a couple restaurants with a business partner in upstate New York. And along the way, I was traveling a lot. I was meeting a lot of consumer brand entrepreneurs. And, you know, I had started to build a following on social media through those years as well and was starting to realize the value of, of social capital and not just the number next to your name on a social media platform, but you know, the ability to have deep relationships with people and to be able to connect people that would benefit from knowing each other. I no longer was in triathlon after 2015. 2015 to 2017 were kind of transitionary years of figuring out what my identity was because I felt like I had kind of lost it when I was no longer competing in Ironman triathlon. And I tried to go like headfirst into CrossFit training four to five hours a day. And just kept like 
getting injured and feeling like shit. That was just way overtrained. And 2017 is when I had the shift in mindset to, you know, just help others develop their own self and wellness protocols. So they, so they were able to thrive. And that's really when social media started to expand for me and more people tuned in. And, you know, I started taking on brand deals during that time period. And that's really evolved into a consulting business where now I'm helping others build their brands through awareness, but also seeding product and putting on lots of community events and co-hosting wellness retreats and helping companies raise money and just all of those things as a, as a young entrepreneur, as a young brand that you, you need help with. And I have a, a good network of people that are able to, to help those brands. So yeah, where I sit today is my life is still very much based around exercise, recovery routines, friends that are into the same types of things I am. And then as far as a business standpoint, I am helping others build their brands. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing your story, man. I, so you let's bet. rewind a little bit to the Ironman era. I, I Somewhere along the lines, I listened to a podcast or read something that you, one of your, maybe it was one of your first Ironman that you, you did something to your hand and mm-hmm. you were questioning yourself, you know, whether you should continue to run the race or not. Tell us a little bit more about that experience. I knew you were injured, but then like, being injured and then saying, okay, now I still have to swim 2.4 miles, bike a hundred or so miles and then run a marathon. Tell us about that experience. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the finger right here. I can't bend it from the knuckle down. And I had a bike crash in Jamesville, New York, 10 days before Ironman Lake Placid. It was in July, hot and humid in upstate New York that time of year. And I was playing with my bike computer with one of my hands and my other arm was on my aero pad. And it just, it slipped going about 25 miles per hour. And I just, you know, I slid down the road and went into the ditch. And at the time I thought I lost my chin. That's what I was most concerned about because I skidded on my chin for a while. So I ended up sitting in the ER for about five hours that night. And got stitched up. And the first question I asked the nurse when I was in the ER getting stitched up was, Hey, do you think I'll be able to race in 10 days? I have this Ironman coming up and, you know, I'm, I'm planning on like continuing to train up until it, like, you think I'll be able to swim and run and bike tomorrow? And she's like, no, no chance. And she was right with the swim part. But the next day I was on my bike. I just had a Ziploc bag over my hand. So I didn't sweat on the stitches. And the following day I was running again but I, I didn't swim leading up to the race because this, my finger ended up being the biggest problem point from the crash. And it was just super swollen and really pink. And it hurt to put any kind of pressure like anywhere on this side of my hand. So I was very concerned about swimming 2.4 miles where there's a lot of pressure on your hand from the swim. And also you're wearing a wetsuit and I knew it would be difficult to get the wetsuit on and off because like anything touching my hand hurts so bad. I asked, you know, a number of doctors whether or not they thought I should do it. Some said no. All I needed was one yes. And there was a doctor who was competing in Ironman Lake Placid who I talked to a few days before the race. And he's like, I know how hard you've trained. And I know that like you want to get to the Ironman World Championships. It's the fittest I had ever been. I literally was had trained four years for this race. And he's like, if I were you, I would do it. So that's all I needed to hear. I just needed one yes. So that morning I got my wetsuit on and, you know, the adrenaline trumped all pain. I really didn't even feel my, my hand during the, during the swim. The race officials let me buddy tape all my fingers together. So it didn't put tremendous pressure just on the one finger. 
And then like getting my wetsuit off again, just like the adrenaline trumped any issue with, with the wetsuit rubbing on my finger. And the, the descent in Lake Placid is really, really steep. And that year it was raining and I could only grip my arrow bars with my thumb and this finger. And I'm descending the highway in Lake Placid upwards of 59, 60 miles per hour, just like hoping I don't hit some kind of bump that, you know, disrails me from being in the arrow position with, you know, barely gripping it. I ended up qualifying for Kona that year and, and racing in Kona. Uh, but my finger got infected from, you know, being in, in the water in Lake Placid. And that's why I can't move my finger from the knuckle down. But for me, it was worth it. Afterwards, though, I was really nervous that I wouldn't be able to like deadlift or do pull-ups or, you know, have any kind of grip strength again. And I, I mean, I, I have the same amount of grip strength now that I, that I had back before I injured it. So that wasn't an issue. So yeah, lesson was like, we're going to have all of these speed bumps in life and looking back, like, you know, they, they oftentimes feel so massive in the moment, but you know, they're just like a blip in the radar when you look back on it. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's pretty insane. And for most people that are watching or listening, like people think that, okay, a lot of people that we know have, have tried an Ironman or have done an Ironman, but they're not doing it to like actually win, right? Like Eric was actually going into the Ironman, like with aspirations to win and qualify for the new races. So you were like a true Ironman athlete and having that hinder you and just continue to push forward. It's pretty inspiring, man. So thank you for that. Yeah, uh, definitely. Now, I've seen over the years of just, you know, following along and being in my own fitness journeys that the fitness game is starting to trend more towards this hybrid fitness model, things that you're doing now, the high rocks of the world. So where have you seen fitness evolve? And what have you seen to be the most optimal style of training for fitness and longevity in life? Yeah, I, I think for longevity, it is this hybrid model where, you know, your heart is, is a massive muscle. So, you know, a lot of strength based athletes or bodybuilders, like they're not really training their heart often. And then there's a lot of endurance athletes that completely ne neglect any kind of strength training. So I think this hybrid athlete is a great blend where, you know, you're not overdoing it in any one capacity. So from a longevity standpoint, from I feel really good standpoint, aesthetic standpoint, I think hybrid training is a hundred percent a great way to go. If you want to achieve at a high level in anything though, you're going to have to sacrifice one or the other. You know, there's a reason why Kipchoge looks the way he does and runs a two hour marathon. And there's a reason why the elite Ironman athletes look the way they do. And there's a reason why bodybuilders look the way they do. They have to, you know, sacrifice and neglect certain things to get to such a high level in one thing. So you know, I think the hybrid athlete training model, again, is incredible for, you know, just general wellness, longevity standpoint, feeling good day in, day out. But, you know, if you do want to excel at one thing, you know, I would say designate five years of your life to really mastering that until it no longer serves you. And then you can move into a more hybrid approach. But, you know, ultimately, I'm glad that I, I, I lived out my Ironman chapter, and I'm glad that now my training is much more mixed in, in modalities because I feel much better. I, I feel strong. I feel anaerobic. You know, I still have a massive aerobic capacity, and, you know, I can go out there and mountain bike for a couple hours and feel great, or I can go and hang in the CrossFit gym and lift heavy weight and feel great. What does your diet look like? Diets changed over the years. During the Ironman years, it was a high fat diet. 
And I was doing that specifically to teach my body to burn fat for fuel. I never tested for ketosis, but I'm sure there were times where I was in ketosis from the high volume of training and the, and the low carbs. I wasn't eating any red meat during that time period. I was mainly eating vegetables, avocado, nuts and seeds, and white meat or fish. And, you know, that really helped me excel in the Ironman years. Now my diet is much different. I eat a much higher protein diet, red meat I've implemented back into my diet, specifically at dinner time, and more carbs now. But I've been much more focused on building strength these last three to four years and also producing anaerobic efforts like to do, do these assault bike intervals and CrossFit workouts. Like you need some carbs in your system so that you have glycogen. So yeah, it, it's very different now. And I've always built my calories through the day though. And this dates back to 2010, where I usually have smaller meals throughout the day and then my largest meal in the evening. And that works well for me because I've found there's a correlation between food volume and mental clarity, meaning the more I eat, the less mental clarity I have. And I think that's because, you know, there's a lot of energy that's going into breaking down that food. So I don't really care as much about mental clarity or physical energy in the evening, but I want a ton of mental clarity and physical energy during the day. So I kind of eat just enough so that I'm not hangry throughout the day, but I'm never having like a big meal for breakfast or lunch. They're generally smoothies or some eggs and turkey sausage. And then at night, that's when I'll have my big portion of carbs, either rice, potatoes. We've been devouring these goodles, mac and cheese lately. And then that's when I'll have my steak or burgers or fish or, or chicken in the evening. That's awesome. Did you want to ask anything about diet and nutrition before I, I was going to pivot more to business? I don't, I don't yeah. I mean, I, I guess just on the diet side, I, I completely relate to the, you know, eating the heavier meal in the evening. Cause I, I continue to find myself, the more I eat throughout the day, the less sharp I get. So like fasting mm -hmm. for me was huge, but also mm -hmm. at the same time, if you're training in the morning, how important is it to get some type of calories or protein in after you train, or is it okay to be training and then continuing to fast? Like, what does that look like? And where have you, I know it's all testing and different for everyone. Yeah. What does that look like in your world? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think this relates to your goals. You know, my goals right now are to, to put on more muscle mass and more strength because I want to be competitive in my age group and CrossFit. So I, I, I am refueling after my workouts. I'm not continuing to fast after a workout. That's when I'm having at least 30 grams of protein, upwards of 60 grams of carbs. And that typically is four to five eggs, some turkey sausage and a banana with some honey um, after a workout or a, a protein shake of some kind. Pre-workout though, I, I generally don't do anything unless it's going to be a really high volume workout, a really high intensity workout, or like a one rep max type of day where I need some carbs in my system. And, you know, even if that's the case, it's a banana, some honey, maybe a little nut butter, some almond butter. Um, it's not a lot. Generally, it's just coffee, collagen powder, and a little honey in the morning before my workout. But yeah, afterwards, I definitely refuel. In endurance sports, it may not be as necessary if you're just out there biking, you know, you're not breaking down your muscle as much. And, you know, someone who's biking or even running, like they want to be lean and light to be able to, you know, be fast. So it, it just depends a lot on, on what your goal is. And again, like mental clarity wise, I feel like the more you eat throughout the day, the less mental clarity you're going to have, like eat enough to replenish, but don't overeat to the point that it's affecting your, your mental clarity. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, well, well said. Before we pivot to business, just because you're also wearing the hat, we see it all over social media that you know ice baths are taking the, the world by storm yeah. now. How important is it for recovery? How much do you stand by utilizing ice baths in combination with sauna, hot and cold therapy? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, sauna and cold exposure is the most instrumental practice that I've adopted in the last six years. It's massive, absolutely massive. I'm 42 years old. You know, I still train three hours almost every single day. And the only way I can back up that type of training volume is by doing the recovery sessions. So my typical routine is every single night, I'm doing three rounds of about 20 minutes in a 200 degree traditional sauna, and then three to five minutes in an ice barrel at about 40 degrees. And from a physical standpoint, it's obviously helping rid your body of inflammation. So, you know, if you're a bodybuilder and your sole goal is to get really jacked, you probably don't want to do it immediately after a workout. You know, I do my routine at 5 p.m. My morning training session is at 8.30. So I'm doing it, you know, eight hours after my training session in the morning. So yeah, it's, it's massive for physical recovery, but also mental and emotional benefits. I, I, over the years, I've realized that it has just completely de-stressed my, my mind and my nervous system. It's like a reset button every single day. You could have the worst day in the world, or you could have a massive to-do list and you jump in cold water for three minutes and you just feel like you're on top of the world and everything is so manageable. So you know, early on, it was very much for the physical benefits, but I continue to do it more now for the mental benefits of it. So yeah, and, and it's cool that so many people are talking about it now because, you know, when I first first started doing it in 2017, you know, there still was a lot of education around it. People were like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, this is so good for you. You got to try it. And now there's so many people telling you why it's good for you that, you know, I feel like we're kind of past that education phase. And now it's just, you know, who's the best in the biz about supplying the the branding product and community around it. That's awesome. So in the beginning of this, you were talking about building assets. I, I wrote some of them down, right? You had a software company. You were, you were a part of it. You sold. Obviously, you were in the insurance industry, build a practice in that space. CrossFit gym, restaurants, consulting business. I'm sure there's a couple other things you're involved in. How do you manage all of that? How do you manage all of that? You know, revenue coming from all these different areas and places. Like, how have you managed that growth just and stay, you know, feel organized and in control to some extent of what's going on in your world business? Yes. Yeah. I usually get to a point of being completely overwhelmed and then realize I have to start either delegating, automating, or eliminating things. And that's kind of been a repeating cycle through time. So probably the, the, the busiest I ever was was you know, that 2010 to 2015 period where I had started the gym. I was actively involved in the software business. I had started to delegate the insurance business, but still had some duties within it. And I was training, you know, upwards of three to five hours a day with, with triathlon. So, you know, during that time period, I, I learned to be very, very structured, you know, just bl blocking out time for certain things. Like these are my training times. I'll combine the lunches with meetings. I'll combine recovery with meetings. It was just like multitasking without multitasking. And that's, that's really carried over to today. You know, now I'm a lot less involved in all of those businesses. Some I've sold and other ones I've, I've hired people that completely manage them. And, you know, I might spend an hour a month doing something with them. So it requires very little time. The, the majority of my time now is, 
the brand deals, helping others build their brands and <clears throat> doing community events, co-hosting retreats and hosting community workouts and cold plunges and rucking events and runs. So that's where the majority of my time is spent. But yeah, I, I just always get to a place where I'm like, what can only I do and I do best? And what what is everything that I can just delegate to someone else where they can do it much better than I can? And again, it's it's I usually get overwhelmed before I get to that point of of delegating it, and that's just been the the process for me. But I think that is important to to recognize when you're to a point that you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing and investing in others to do those to free up more time so you can do what only you can do. And it's a beautiful byproduct of growth, right? I feel like in the beginning yeah. of entrepreneurship, everyone just thinks that you need to. Just do it. You're basically self-employed. You're not really an entrepreneur. You're, you're just constantly doing every single role within the business. And then I attribute to like, you just make a mess and then you fix it. You make a mess and yep. you fix it. And if you're going full throttle, that's just the, the byproduct of growth. Now, when was it for you? Cause now we're in this time period where I feel like the things are shifting, where it used to be a flex to have your Lambo and all these things and all making all this money. But now it's shifted to how much time do I have to spend with my family or to do with the things that I want and mm -hmm. scaling to a, where it's very lean and, and smaller and you're able to actually just do the things you want, which entrepreneurship affords. It seems like you're starting to get towards that phase in your life where like your needs are met, your businesses are automated, you love playing the game, but you also love doing the things that you love to do. Um, where did you get to that point? Where was that reflection point where you need to understand like, hey, I need to throttle down a little bit. What's that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, that was during the Ironman years. So, you know, dating back to 2010 when I was in my late 20s, early 30s. And it was realizing that health is wealth, that, you know, the exercise brought so much joy to me and just gave me a full cup so I could give back to others. And, you know, I realized that prior to that, like I was doing so much just for the public perception of, of success. You know, I was chasing more money to get nicer suits and watches and cars and the condo. And like these were all just like to please others and to please my ego, but it wasn't really soul satisfying. So, I mean, when you're out there biking five hours by yourself and running two hours by yourself and swimming an hour and a half by yourself in a the basement of a YMCA, like you have a lot of time to think, reflect and, and, and just to like connect dots and to realize like what really serves you. So, I mean, that's what it was for me. It was just a lot of time alone at a high heart rate where I started to realize like, this is what I want my life to look like. And yeah, freedom is freedom to design your day is the ultimate wealth in my opinion. And yeah, I always caution people, you know, building massive businesses, chasing revenue that like revenue doesn't mean profitability. Oftentimes you're just like making others rich along the way and you're just taking on more and more stressors that are going to massively affect your, your happiness, your, your, your long-term health. So yeah, I've, I've always remained small and profitable with businesses that I'm involved with because I am cognizant of, I don't want to bring on massive stress into my life. I, I like that I have lots of freedom to design my day the way I want to. <clears throat> you know, I have countless opportunities that come my way and most of them I say no to because I want to train for three hours a day. I want to sauna for an hour and a half a day. I want to spend a couple hours with, you know, my girlfriend and our dog Blaze. And I want to spend time with my friends and I want to spend time with my family. Like these things all really matter to me. So, you know, that might leave me with four hours a day to be at a computer to do actual work. 
So on your on the personal side, how have you seen? Is it is it integrated? Is it balanced? Like, and and are there ever times where you're you kind of will compromise whatever your standard is as an athlete to just you know spend time with family and friends and whether whether it's going on vacations or going out to eat and having drinks with friends? Like, where do you draw those lines and boundaries in your discipline? You know, on the as an athlete and then also as a you know a friend, a boyfriend, a husband, whatever, mm-hmm. a father, whatever that looks like. Yeah, great question. I mean, for the most point, I have designed my environment, <clears throat> designed my friend group, designed, you know, who my partner is, designed our lifestyle in a way that, you know, we don't need to take vacations. And when we do, like we both enjoy doing the exact same things that we do every day in Colorado, wherever we are, you know, I'd stick to the same routines, the same structure, but there's variety within it. You know, there's like, there's new people coming over to sauna every day. There's new people joining into the gym mix. I'm going on different mountain bike rides. I'm going on different hikes and rucks. So, you know, I know what works really well for me and I don't really stray from it, but there's variety within what works for me. And then, you know, over time, like everything else around you takes shape of what you manifest. So, you know, because I'm out there training all the time and running all the time, like, that's my friend group. That's who I've attracted into my life are, are like-minded people because I love helping entrepreneurs build their brands. I attract those type of, of people because they see I'm working with others in the space. You know, I attracted my partner, Sarah, because of my lifestyle. So I feel like once you figure out what really serves you and you just live authentically to your passions and purpose, like a lot of other things fall in place. I mean, I moved to Colorado in 2017 because I felt like my lifestyle no longer fit well in in Syracuse, New York, you know, where it's rainy and overcast often. And I want to be outside running and biking and just, you know, I feel best when I'm in nature. So I moved to Colorado. I changed my environment. And then I lived downtown in, in Denver for a bit, which was great to meet, you know, entrepreneurs here and to build relationships. But you know, a year ago, we bought a house really close to the mountain. So it's super easy access to go mountain biking and trail running and hiking. And we have a big backyard that's a gym and a sauna. So people come here to work out. So, you know, the environment has has changed based on kind of what 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 I manifested. <clears throat> Dude, I, I love that. I can't believe you lasted that long in Syracuse, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I only lasted 25 years in New York before I had to leave. So with that being said, what I really like about the way the world is headed, because we live in this like really polarized environment. If you just consistently watch the news, you'd be told that like the world is shifting in such a bad area, right? But if you if you really look at it from a macro perspective, I really love the way we're shifting, especially with the merge of fitness and entrepreneurship. Because two of those things used to be mutually exclusive where the fitness and entrepreneurship hybrid was just based on the, like these big supplement companies and the bodybuilding.coms. But now, you know, if you're a content creator or an athlete, you can create your own miniature economy within that system. And it allows you the freedom, allows you to be very community centric and, and really focus on building a business, but also helping others at the same time. So with that being said, I know you're very community focused. How can others join that community? How can they connect with you? What's your vision as well? Yeah, I mean, Instagram is the best place to reach out to me. And within my link in my bio on Instagram, I have all of the upcoming community events that I'm going to be hosting or co-hosting. I think it's so important to 
find a like-minded tribe. You know, there's these things like HPLT, high performance lifestyle training that Brian Mazza created, all day running company that Jesse Itzler and Devin LeVake have, where you can join these communities of like-minded individuals and you're going to make incredibly valuable connections and you're going to manifest opportunities for yourself. You know, if that's, if those are your people. So I'm a huge proponent of like finding your people through community and opportunities are going to come to you from just those authentic connections that you're going to make within it. So it's super important to me. I mean, I, we love hosting people. Our, our house is basically a revolving door. God bless my girlfriend that she allows that to happen. But every day from five until seven, there's six to eight people that are passing through here to sauna and cold plunge and. You know, that's a lot of new people too. And when people reach out to me on Instagram to meet up for coffee or lunch, I'm like, come over to the house and sauna, 5 p.m., pick a day. So I love meeting new people. I love connecting people. And, you know, it just brings me a, a lot of joy. I, Huberman had a podcast on gratitude. And one of them was the massive dopamine spike that you get from sharing values with others that are going to benefit from it. And I mean, that's certainly true for me. I mean, I, you know, I get the same amount of dopamine that I would get from a run that I do when I know I just connected two people that are really going to benefit from knowing each other. So, and over time, you know, that, that builds community. Those people develop a relationship. They introduce each other to, to people. And, you know, it's just this tribe of like-minded people that forms. That's amazing. And the, the name of this podcast is the Consistency Wins Podcast. And so we ask this to every guest that we have on, what does consistency mean to you and how does that show up in, in your life? Yeah, I mean, compounding consistencies is something that I preach all the time. We have so many options and distractions in today's day and age. Like everything is accessible to us through our phones that we carry with us everywhere we go. We get all of these notifications on our phones all the time. <clears throat> and I mean, six, all of, all of my friends that are successful, for the most part, they just focused on one thing for long enough. To, to be good at it or to build something. So yeah, I, I think we need to think of life as chapters where like focus on one thing for three to five years until it no longer serves you and then move on to the next chapter and the next thing. And, you know, if you're not trying to do too many things at once, you're going to form these consistencies that compound and, you know, something massive is going to come out of it. So I think consistency is is everything in life. And, it, it's more of what you're not doing than it is what you're doing. It's cutting out all of the distractions, cutting out all of the options. And just like, if you want to be, if you want to run the Leadville 100, <clears throat> like you got to focus on running for three to five years to get really good at the Leadville 100. And that means you're probably going to have to back off on strength training. And you're probably going to have to back off on going out late at night because you're going to have to get a lot of sleep to recover fast enough. So it's really, it, it's what you're not doing that, that forms massive success in anything addition through subtraction i love it man yeah well, exactly Eric, thank you so much for coming on this was long awaited for us i'm very grateful that you took the time here thank you so much for coming on man have a great rest of your day thank you thanks for having me guys